Hey, y'all, and welcome back to the Innovation Room podcast. My name is Tori Homan, and I am one of your hosts. And I'm really excited to be back with my co-host, Jonathan Yasko. We have a great end-of-year episode for you. Yeah, for sure. I'm uh, super glad to be here. 2024 is going to be here before we know it. So really, let's just dive into what's coming in 2024, what's happening in the sign industry, and just generally what's going to affect you know small to mid-sized businesses and what our owner really thinks of it. y'all before i introduce our guest don't forget to like share and subscribe to our channel or find the audio version of this episode wherever you get your podcasts now i am so excited to introduce today's guest this is john yarger he is the third generation president and ceo of north american signs and has spent his almost your entire career in the sign industry right john yes if not all of it yeah okay he's the former board chair of the international sign association and the former board chair of the sign research foundation so this guy really knows what he's talking about we're really excited to have him on john thank you so much for joining us Um, tell us a little bit about how you got into the sign industry i I mentioned it's a generational thing for your family yeah well thanks for having me so yeah my grandfather started a neon company back in 1934 and so when he passed away, my dad and eventually my uncle joined him and they ran it for a long time. And then I came back in 1996. So been here a bit now. Love it. That is so awesome. Well, thanks for being here. Yeah. So, John, you've been in the sign industry for quite some time. Um, and since you have uh, a lot of longevity in the industry, I'd love to get like a historical perspective from you. Um, on how the sign industry has just changed over the course of your career. Yeah. So when I came back, there were no LEDs. It was all neon. So one of the big changes, of course, um, we started using LEDs actually in the late 90s for specialty applications. So I guess I've seen that whole transition from neon and fluorescent to, to almost exclusively LED use. That's been you know, one of the larger changes, which it's funny, but people think of it as just a material shift, but it's also a labor shift because neon took a lot of specialized knowledge of how to bend and pump and light the neon. So as well as installation of it. So um, it really changed some of the, the labor and skill part of it as well. Besides that, There's, you know, there's more bending machines, you know, channel benders, channel letter benders were something that came along a little bit later. Um, It's just been a progression. A lot, obviously, a lot of other things have come into the industry that weren't really used back in the day, including lasers and other types of equipment. So it's been, it's been uh, an interesting travel, not to mention all the office changes that have taken place from from paper files and uh, fax machines to email and um, right, exactly. you know, electronic so, payments. Or even the fact that obviously our, our manufacturing team is still on site, but we're all remote now. All of our administrative and project management team has been a huge shift as a, well. A good percentage of it, yes. Yeah. yeah. The One of the things that I always think is interesting, so do you think the the shift from neon to led has a a, a big benefit you know overall like because there's a lot of people you know cost savings is probably one of them but uh, i'm sure it's probably 
you know, safer, right? To go with LED versus neon in a lot of applications. Yeah, from a number of standpoints too, just from installation, you know, from wiring and installation um, safety, because instead of 3,000 to 15,000 volts, you're dealing with 12 right. or 24 volts. So it's uh, the 120 is still on the, on the one end of it, but um, the other end's much safer now. But also, you know, it's also safer from a fire point of view and penetration point of view, buildings, water um, issues, all those sorts of things. So, and repairs. Right. So all of that's interesting. You know, the LE, the neon, a really, really good properly pumped neon tube could last for 50 years. Oh, so really? LEDs wow. don't do that, but, but they're easier to change. So what do you see are the, the biggest trends that, you know, everybody in the, the sign industry should kind of keep an eye out for? Well, I think the office changes are going to continue to have an impact on the sign industry, both people working remotely, remote meetings. I think that's definitely a shift. You know, we still like to do some in-person meetings, but we do a ton by video now. And, you know, COVID really drove that just in the last few years. I always was amazed at how little video conferencing we did, say, in 2019, when it was theoretically totally possible and easy, but people still weren't comfortable with it. It really took COVID to get people to adopt it on a widespread um, basis. So I think that's going to continue to shift things as we all go more and more electronic and paperless increasingly paperless, you know, it creates new opportunities and some new challenges. I think there's still, you know, looking at sign designs and complex architecturals and all of that, we're all getting used to it still to some degree on a computer screen that can be done and it take, but it's different than looking at it on a blueprint. So, and maybe my generation feels that way more than the young generation because they're all used to this. Um, so I think those changes will happen. I think there'll be continuing technology changes on the shop floor as well. It's interesting, you know, we're such a specialized industry and there's so many niches that like LEDs, when they first became useful to the sign industry, there was very few applications. There were just a few applications that they really worked really well in. And over time, it expanded and got larger. Um, the same way with routing. When we first started using routers, they were cumbersome. The setup times were long. As all that comes down, came down and, and continues to come down, that's going to be a continuing opportunity to make new types of signs with new types of materials. Uh, that's going to continue. So I think there'll be, you know, some new equipment, but it tends, sometimes it tends to start slowly in the sign industry. And sometimes there's a particular application where it actually starts earlier, like with LEDs. They didn't really get adopted widespread until the 2000s when the price came down. And, but there were specialty applications before that where they made a lot of sense. There'll be, the, it'll be that same way with some new um, automated equipment on the shop floor. There'll be places where it makes sense. But widespread adoption will probably take a while. So what about the LEDs in the sense that can you see that technology going even further? I mean, because it seems like every time I look, you've got 3, 3K brightness, 5K, 65. And like, where where can you see that technology going? Yeah. So, you know, there's lots of little tweaks they could make 
I think. I mean, certainly that color difference has an effect on how a sign looks. So being able to change that in the field may or may not be of value at some point. Being able to dial in what you want, that would probably start more in the home for people who want different looks, like in a vanity where you're putting on makeup or something. Um, and you want to, yeah. <laughs> you want to, you want, oh, how am I going to look in fluorescent? How am I going to look in, you know, in front of the lights? You know, how do you recreate different effects um, in different rooms? You know, is probably possible now, but not widely adopted. So yeah. there's some of that. I, you know, the price has kind of gotten down to where it, where it was. For a long time, we were just watching the price curve drop as you know, as they became more efficient in making the LEDs yeah. and driving them properly. So we watched that that price curve come down and now it's plateaued and bumps around now a little at a lower level. So, you know, in the future, I think there's definitely opportunity to figure out maybe another efficient lighting source. There's certainly the possibility of trying to incorporate green energy of some sort into mm signs but generally signs rely on buildings you know you're going through the building electrical to get to most signs so as buildings start to go green the signs will kind of naturally go green with them mm -hmm. in terms of just the electrical supply to them well yeah it's really like what what can we do to be more green like we have to buy aluminum we have to buy you know plex we have to we have to buy all these things and Right. We can we can choose better suppliers, but you know, we we literally cannot change if an LED is greener or not. You know, we can choose suppliers that lean that way, but we we don't have really much much choice in the, the matter. And I think one of the things that I don't know if it's a green initiative, but like when you did the revamp of the floor of the warehouse where you said you focused on throughput as opposed to wasted space. I mean that when you're manufacturing that's like probably the best you can get. Yeah, as not building a new building, not building additional right. building where we can create more efficiency within the building we have is the most efficient way not to right. not to create more emissions. <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, not pouring more concrete, not not erecting additional iron and steel. Right. And, you know, becoming more efficient is one of the best ways to be more green. Yeah, that makes sense. And one of the things that, uh, and it's, you know, my, my newness to the industry, uh, do you see an application because I see all the time and it could just be, you know, out of left field, um, where you have light bulbs that you can screw in and then I've got a remote that I can change the color. Um, exactly. do you see that it be in an application useful in science? Possibly. I mean, for particular applications, it might be useful now, as I said, right? Yeah. You can do that now that technology exists. Why did you buy that personally? And why would a company want that mm -hmm. on a broader scale? Those are the questions. There will be companies that want that for one reason or another. If it's going into a display, if it's going to, you know, impact the lighting in a, in a room where they want to control it very closely, you know, that's possible generally for an exterior illuminated sign, unless you're going to colors, just going from a high temperature white to a low temperature white isn't something that's necessarily real important to people it's looking at a sign from a parking lot. Right. Fair yeah, enough. That makes sense. I, I could see, you know, there are these couple of um, large office buildings that I drive by 
fairly regularly and they have around the top, I'm sure they're LED light that just kind of rim the tops of the buildings. Mm -hmm. And right now they're red and green because we're approaching Christmas, but normally they're just a blue color, I think. But I could see where if you've already got your sign folks up there, you know, however many hundreds of feet in the air putting your sign up, you may as well have them also just install all those LED lights to, to ring your building. So yeah, the architectural border tubing um, has yes. definitely become quite popular, you know, There's both on term, folks. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. used a fair amount on gas canopies, gas station yeah. canopies, and then also particular buildings want to be able to display their the colors, you know, I saw a lot of them in Chicago go blue and white with the Israeli issues or for, you know, blue and yellow for Ukraine. But then they also went orange for Halloween or right. um, or the bears or the bears. Right. Yep. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> I was going to say, what, what's the local sports team? That's, that's who we're rooting for. <laughs> well, and yeah, we could talk about, you know, technological developments for the sign industry, like all, all day. But here at Nash, you know, we emphasize the importance of our customer service. And despite all the new technology that, you know, the human touch is still important. Uh, how do you see that playing out with all the investments, you know, coming to us and how that's going to play a role in 2024? Yeah. So, you know, I spent some time as a project manager here back in the, in the mid 80s. Back in the day. <laughs> back in the day, you know, paper files and and fax machines and, and mailing things. And, you know, nothing was really as important as the phone. And emails supplanted that to a large degree in from a lot of communications because it is efficient. You can get it when you want to, but to build trust and to build, you know, for better communication, you have to either be on the phone and get pe people's tone or even, you know, with the video makes it even more compelling to see somebody and build that trust and get the, the reassurance in a human way that's helpful. Yeah, I think we just had a lesson where we talked about, you know, words are only 7% of the communication that's done, you know, and how that really affects how somebody can perceive the message, just how you're saying it, you know, like, are you saying it with a scowl on your face? And um, it, it gets lost in the in all the new technology and everything. But what do you see, like, as the pros and cons of the new trends that are coming in the coming year? Well, I think, you know, I think some of the pros are that, you know, you can have more face-to-face, -face, even if it's far away, but it can't supplant the in-person. The in-person is even, you know, more powerful than the video now, although the video is really powerful. So how do you, you know, video meetings and you know, podcasts and everything else, you can reach a lot yeah. of people with a lot of information very quickly. And keeping that authentic is huge, especially when you start to talk about the, you know, the AI issues and people being able to mock not only voices and, and communications, but also images. So achieving that authenticity on both a societal level and a personal level is still key to um, doing business with people. They want to be able to trust that you're going to do what you say you're going to do, that you're going to get the sign up on yeah. time, that you're going to respond with the information they're looking at on a, you know, in, a, in our context as a sign yeah. in the sign business. 
and on a wider you know, basis in our society, that trust is really important. So how we go about ensuring that we're paying attention to that and developing ways to not just the same way that you can get trapped in just doing an email and it causes a spiral out of control. How do we make sure we're not getting trapped in the other ways that spiraling out of control is going to be a huge portion of, of what we have to figure out as businesses and society. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, we have to be intentional about our communication modes and methods. And like you mentioned, I think technology is great. I mean, we, we have a meet, we have meetings with companies in Australia and you know, where you can't have that personal touch, but if we could, you know, it's, it's on us as you know, the customer service providers to take it upon ourselves to be the driving force for that change that we want to see and um, really put some effort behind it. So John, some of the trends that we addressed in the last segment apply across a broader range. And so that's kind of where I'd like to take us now. What do you see as the larger business trends affecting a cross section of industries? in the coming year and beyond? Well, always one of the biggest things is the economy. We all are subject to it to some degree. It makes it, you know, the rowing harder or easier based on what's going on in the overall economy. And with it slowing, there's going to be some, some lagging and some challenges to face. As I understand it, we are going to see a slowing economy for the year, and then things will pick up for 2025. So it's being prepared for that, understanding where we're at in the business cycle and what we can do in the next year to get prepared for continued growth later on. So I think it's really important to keep in mind that, you know, the economy goes through these cycles and we just have to understand them and prepare for them and prepare for the next one before it actually hits us. So that, that's right. going to affect everybody's boat to some degree. I don't think it's going to be a huge issue or a huge downturn or anything like that. I think, I don't know that we'll have the soft landing that we're hoping for, but I don't think it'll be that bad either. Um, especially depending on where you are in the economy. Some sectors will do fine and some will be a little more hurt. You know, um, housing's still struggling, for instance, right. and manufacturing is down some even now, but um, other sectors are doing fine. The consumer's been good. They're likely to slow a little bit next year, but I think everything is going to be relatively mild, especially compared to what we've seen over the last, say, 12 years or 13 years with the last two yeah. downturn, big enough. downturns. You know, other things is, yeah, the AI that we talked about a little bit is going to continue to make inroads. I think how how businesses start to figure out where to apply it and how to apply it and how to make it effective is going to be a theme. It's been a theme in the media and with some of the tech companies this past year, but I think it's going to start to seep into more and more of people's everyday routines as we go into the next year. And that's going to be really interesting to watch is where is this useful? Where isn't it useful? So speaking of AI, are there places that you're implementing AI into your own workflow? So I've started experimenting some with it and trying to figure out where does it fit into the workflow, right? How, how could this fit yeah. both for me and for the company as a whole? And it somewhat gets back to how are you going to adopt it and how are you going to control it? Because, you know, we can upload a bunch of information 
if we don't do that properly, it becomes public knowledge very quickly. And what type of AI are you loading it into? There's different models of AI. Depending on what you want to get out, you have to change what you're putting in and what, you're, what model you're using. So where, which models work where is something that smaller companies or mid-market companies like we are, you know, are still just starting to figure out. Certainly it helps when people, you know, with a number of the programs that we use start to incorporate them in. Um, we already see it with, you know, guessing which words you're going to type next into your phone or... Some of it, you know, you see when you do a Google search or, you know, we used to do Google searches and now sometimes people are doing chat GPT prompts. So understanding how to do those prompts correctly is a whole nother talent and a whole nother kind of learning process and people start to get it. And so where do you, you know, when do you use that for a contract? When do you use it for a quick, you know, I'm struggling with how to say this to a customer. When does a salesperson, when does it make sense and when it doesn't? And reviewing that properly, it still hallucinates. You still get some junk out of it occasionally, and you have to be a little bit careful. You can't take it verbatim. So it's going to be interesting to see where people can. And I haven't incorporated it into my day-to-day -day a whole lot. I'm trying to look for those areas yeah. where it does make sense and where it can be helpful to me. Yeah, I, it's funny. I was just yesterday looking back on a piece I had written earlier this year. I want to say, I want to say it was from July, maybe. And some of the things I had written in that article about AI have already changed, and, yeah. and it's only been you know six months or so. Like it's it's just moving so rapidly that I almost maybe this is like a little bit of a Debbie Downer way to look at it, but it almost feels like by the time we finally get a grip on how to use it effectively, it's already gonna be totally different. You know, like OpenAI is releasing a new version of ChatGPT, I feel like every quarter or something. I, that's, that's not true, but it feels like it's moving that quickly. So John, do you have any thoughts about that, about the, the pace of how quickly these things are moving? Yeah, well, I, yeah, it's very, it is very quickly and Trying to adopt it and adapt it is is a challenge, and you know it takes time to both learn it, to figure out what you're doing, and you know certainly I think the younger generation will do it faster in a lot of ways. On the other hand, you know the opportunity to do it um, is there for all of us. So how do we do it responsibly and effectively? You know, can it draft emails for us? Well, it really needs the context of all your other emails to be able to do that. So how much information are you going to give to that? And how much are you willing to trust it to, to create an email back based on what you know? So there are times when it, you know, it is spit out lists or, or guidance. I've tried it for exercise hmm. suggestions. I've tried it for how to approach a conversation suggestions. And some of them make sense when they come back and a few of them are you know, every now and then you'll get one and you'll be like, no, no, I'm not going that direction with this. Right. Um, I mean, that's not that me that or something. <laughs> right. So it's, it's that experiment. It's just going to take that experimentation to figure out where it is. And it's going to, it is going to get better very quickly. And, yeah. you know, that's totally different for us. It's totally different than like the coding community. You know, they're, they're learning to use it to write code and generate all that. And then they have to go back and make sure it makes sense and debug it, but it can do some of that too. So it is going to move very quickly. Yeah. 
again, the challenge is how do you use it effectively without losing the human touch, the human authenticity, because it does not have that yet. Will it? Right. Maybe right. someday, but humans are really complicated um, and we really haven't figured out how to do that effectively still. It's in some ways it's really close and in some ways right. it's and, and amazing. And in some ways it's really still far away, even though it's gotten a lot closer. Right. Right. And even, even just the differing opinions from experts, you know, you've got Elon Musk saying, I think it'll happen in five or six years. And then you've got other people who think either it's not going to happen in our lifetimes mm -hmm. or it's never going to happen at all. This idea that AI can be totally conscious, sentient, you know, even emotional in the way that right. humans are, you know, neuroscientists and doctors don't even really understand all the way how the human brain works. And right. so personally, I'm a bit skeptical about whether or not we'll see AI work in the way, you know, it does in like the matrix or something, right? Where it's, it literally yeah. does have a mind of it. I hope it never works that way, right. but yeah. <laughs> and I don't think we all need to be running around wearing black latex either, but it is one of those things that we try to predict it. And yet, can we ever, can we ever really say with a strong amount of confidence? Right. I don't know. Well, don't know. It, to me, it's, I mean, I'm going to date myself quite a bit, but it, it, it's, it feels like I'm watching this conversation from a different aspect. When I was growing up, it was cell phones. I remember my brother-in-law got his first cell phone that was the size of a big boot box that sat in the center <laughs> console of his car. And I, I heard the same thing, you know, from my parents that, oh, They'll never make it small enough to fit in your hand. Oh, they'll never make it small enough to fit in your pocket. Oh, they'll never make one that has a touch screen on it, you know? And then on the flip side of it, um, you know, well, yeah, they can. Why can't they? You know, like as a kid, you know, so being older and going, well, I don't think they can do this, you know? And now it's, for me, it's like the cell phone, you know, my parents, they were the skeptics of it and I was the proponent for it. Now I'm kind of skeptical of AI. And I'm sure my kids, when they're old right. enough to understand it, are going to say, no, dad, they can do it. They can do it. They can make it happen. <laughs> and, you know, it's the same exact scenario, only a different technology. Yeah, absolutely. Who knows? Maybe it'll be like Bill and Ted's excellent. <laughs> yeah. That would be pretty cool, I have to say. <laughs> um, okay, John. So we, we touched on this for the sign industry in the last segment. But as far as, right, we're talking specifically economy and AI, pro, pro and con that for us. Obviously, con is a recession. Yeah, a uh, it's a slight downturn. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it'll be a full recession yet. I, I've heard, you know, I've seen predictions both ways. Yes, it'll it'll technically be a recession. No, it won't technically be a recession, but it's going to be a little slower than it is now. You know, we're not going to be growing as fast. We may shrink a quarter. We may shrink two quarters. You know, which is generally the technical. You know, the yield curve is still inverted, so we're still dealing with a negative interest rate environment in that respect. So there's more slow slowing coming. That's not necessarily a negative if we use it to catch our breath, to figure out how to be better, to figure out how to be more efficient. And we prepare for the next year, which looks like it'll start growth again. So it's just a matter of making the right decisions, knowing that this is a, this is a temporary thing. And right. really what we want to prepare for this coming year is the year after that. And obviously, I don't, yeah. I, well, I don't know if it's obvious, but while the labor market may get a little easier for us as employers, <laughs> um, it's not going to get real easy anytime soon. And human talent is some of the most expensive and most, um, is some of the hard, hard to replace. 
So right. yeah. we need to be cognizant of that and not, not get overly aggressive in worrying about a small downturn. So within the company, what are you doing to make sure that we're prepared for 2024? How, you know, you're talking about, well, let's kind of refine our processes. What does that look like? Yeah. So, well, part of it's communicating it to people is being upfront with them and trying to create that authenticity and that, you know, make that connection that, Hey, you may hear things in the press, more things in the press that are challenging and become challenging with us in terms of the economy. Know that I see that coming some, I'm not concerned about it. I see us as needing to be in the mode of figuring out how we prepare for 2025. So a lot of that is making sure we have the right people in place, training. You know, we've launched some new training initiatives. We want to get some of our newer managers, some additional training. We want to make sure that our employees understand that we care about their development and their place within this community can grow and they can be successful here. So that's a big part of it. There's also just the financial end of it, which is saying, okay, you know, how do I make sure I have the resources and we make the right decisions financially to set us up in the future? So mm-hmm. making sure, you know, that we're paying attention to our cash position and we understand things might get a little slow, but that doesn't mean that we need to go overboard on anything too far. And investment in equipment and the chance to learn new equipment is, is another opportunity. You know, when you're not quite as pressed every day, how do you use that wisely and set it up so it is used wisely? Right. Absolutely. And so then when that, hopefully, when you're starting to see more work in 2025, that technology and all that investment, like you said, it's really just set you up for success in that next year. And I'm not convinced that we as a company will participate a whole lot in the recession. We have a lot of good things. Yeah. It's great to hear. We have a lot of good things going. (laughs) A number of new customers and new opportunities we're working on, as Jonathan knows very well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we may be as busy as ever and, and roll right through it. So Jonathan, that was such a great conversation with John. What are your top takeaways from this discussion? Uh, well, I think, I mean, it was great insight that John had about the, you know, 2024, yeah. possibly, you know, maybe not quite hitting a recession level, but in technical terms, it, it's technically a recession, but it's it's really not as bad as it could possibly be. Um, and that just that he's positioned, yeah. you know, our company to kind of uh, be able to weather that storm. And we don't see that as, as far as internally, being able to have as much impact as other, other companies or other industries may be. And I think it just goes to his, you know, like his leadership in, coming up to this and keeping an eye on all those things and making sure the presence of mind that, you know, because I'm sure last year he probably said, well, I think this might be coming. So let's try and prepare for it to be yeah. coming and then prepare for the worst and hope for the best. And then, you know, you just set you up in a much better position. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think for me, top takeaway would be just the AI piece of things. I think it's interesting it kind of just as a topic, I write about it occasionally for our blog. And I have been using AI a little bit in my writing. I'm not, you know, copy and pasting right. from ChatGPT, but I do I do use it to supplement and to sometimes help me structure or just generally give me ideas. And it's it's been a really useful tool for me for all sorts of copywriting applications and 
And so I think, you know, to John's point, how do we control it? How do we maintain security for um, ourselves individually, ourselves as a, as a company and protecting our information and our identity is an important piece of it that I personally don't know as much about. So it was, gr it was great to hear some of John's insights in that direction. So yeah, what a, just what a great conversation. Yeah. And I think that's like, especially around the AI piece that AI can be such a tool to use. And I think it, it'll be one of those things that it'll help good people be great. But John even mentioned that, you know, hey, he'll search for a way to approach a, a topic with somebody and then be like, ooh, I wouldn't take that. But if you just kind of say, yeah. <laughs> you know, hey, AI, send this email to so-and-so and then trust yes. the, the process, then it's going to say something that you didn't want to say. And then I can see, I can right. see two ways of that going, you know, somebody saying, oh, well, I'm just going to blame AI for it. Or it could say something that just immediately gets somebody fired. I mean, there's so many different things that could happen with it that, you know, just a glitch in the programming. Right. And all of a sudden now, if you haven't linked to your email, now it's sending out hundreds of emails a second because right. it, it thinks it's the right thing to do. So I can see it yeah. becoming an issue, but you know, it also has its upsides too. I can see people using it to refine how good they are and, and becoming great. It can for sure augment a ton of processes, but we're still smarter than it is at this point. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and who knows if that will be the case in the future, but right now right we're now. still, yeah. <laughs> you know, the arbiters of, of truth and, and all of those types of things. And so I think for those companies, especially that are smaller, if you don't have those really specific processes in place, you just, as an individual using it, right? right? Like I have to go back and check everything that it tells me to make sure that it's true. And sometimes different AI applications will provide you with the resources that it used to create this particular set of information or to gather this information. And then other times it'll just spit stuff out at you without any sort of citation. Oh, right. And yeah. So it's your responsibility. You know, it's my responsibility as the author of, of the copy or the blog or the white paper or whatever, to make sure that what I'm telling people is true at the very least to the best of my knowledge. So yeah, it's a, it's a tricky topic for very, sure. Very much so. Well, thanks for joining us today on the Innovation Room podcast, everybody. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your uh, podcast. For sure. Don't forget to also drop us a comment below. Let us know what you thought about this topic. What predictions do you have for 2024? And also feel free to let us know what topics you'd like us to talk about next. We'll see y'all next time.